Welcome, perfect stranger. My name is Valérie. I see myself as a nomad with deep roots. I'm fascinated by our cultural differences and at the same time by what we all have in common. The more I meet people from diverse backgrounds, the more I learn about myself and the world. In this podcast, I would like to give you the opportunity to experience it by stepping in somebody else's shoes for a moment. Today, I'm happy to welcome David, a fellow podcaster. Unlike many of us, he has chosen the countries in which he has moved. He will share the why and how he did it. My grandfather, well, he was in the Navy, so he was able to go on world cruises a couple of times. And so when I was growing up, he'd always tell me stories about his time abroad. And the knowledge he gained along the way. What I've discovered over time is that I really like to reduce regrets. And for me, regret would be not trying something that I want to do or if that's really compelling to you and keeps coming to you in daydreams and you know you just feel that deep longing, that call of the unknown in your soul, then I think you owe it to yourself to see what's possible and see if you can make it happen. So, are you ready to listen to him? David, welcome to Perfect Strangers. Thank you. It's really nice for me to receive a fellow podcaster. Yeah. Uh, so today we will speak about your podcast, Expat Empire. But first, uh, let us get to know you better. I think uh, you have a very interesting journey. Thank you. And I'm going to go straight to the point. So I, I listened to some of your podcasts And I was very curious because you say that you became fascinated by Japan as a teenager. And I was wondering, what was your first encounter with the Japanese culture? Hmm, have to think back a bit on that. As you mentioned, that was my initial interest. And I would say even more than interest, it became quite a passion for me. I started studying Japanese when I was 12 years old. Ah, that's very young. <laughs> yeah, I guess it probably came from a number of different areas. First and foremost, it was at, you know, at 12 years old, I think it was a good time, at least according to my dad, for children or, you know, young people, young adults to develop a hobby. So he told me, find something, make it your hobby, get serious about it. And I was never really a sports person. I love music, but I was never really into practicing music. I tried that for a little bit and it wasn't my thing. So I had that in the back of my mind and I was kind of trying to figure out what would be an interesting hobby for me to get more passionate about, to pursue more seriously. So I had that alongside uh, an interest in Japanese culture with the animation, with the comics, with the, the video games. And that was really popular among my friend group. So I guess I had those two influences as well as I'd even draw it back to honestly, my, my grandfather. Well, he was in the Navy, so he was able to go on world cruises a couple of times. And so when I was growing up, He'd always tell me stories about his time abroad, which was many, many decades prior. I think it was in Japan that he got his like big tattoo on his arm, which you know was one of those things that he did with his Navy buddies. So just hearing those stories and thinking about him being in Japan somewhere around 1950, 1951, something like that, just really captured my imagination. 
but I can imagine the fascination of the boy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know what's incredible is that you had this fascination, but that it lasted and you really decided you wanted to go there one day and you succeeded. So you, you had a lot of persistence in your goal. I mean, I was fortunate to have very supportive parents. I did start it very seriously from a young age and it just snowballed a bit, but it started with me getting a book and cassette tape. At first, I was not so serious about it, but I kind of tried it for a few days or a week and I put it down. After some time, it was kind of on my desk staring at me and I always felt like, oh, you know, I should really give this a real shot and not just put it to the side. And then from that day forward, I studied 30 minutes every day for the next, I think I did about nine months, which was actually going kind of all the way through the course twice. And then we, as a family, moved from Alabama to California to the Los Angeles area. And then I started taking after-school courses at a Japanese school. Again, one thing leads to another, and I just get more and more serious about it, start doing immersion programs, speech contests. Then I finally got to go and visit for the first time when I was 17. Really a mind-blowing experience for me. Like It was everything that I had dreamed and more, and I came back even more excited to continue my studies. So it just all worked together toward me then studying at university and trying to find a way there, which I did eventually find a way, but it took quite some years. <laughs> yes. So your level of Japanese was good when you went to Japan for the first time when you were 17. My Japanese was already pretty good at that point. And part of the reason for that is that I took it so seriously. I was doing flashcards all the time. I was trying to watch and play things and listen to music in Japanese and just trying to immerse myself in it. So because I took it so seriously, I was able to also improve quickly as well. But, you know, but to get really good at a language like Japanese just takes a long time. So. So I guess also that the people must have been amazed by you. <laughs> I mean, at your age, speaking so well, I mean, from just from your own motivation to learn Japanese, I'm sure people were super happy, no? Yes, they were. And I think that's something interesting that I've seen across a few different cultures, and I can compare it better now, is that it's nice when you're studying a language like Japanese, that when you go and when you can speak a few words, when you can do a bit, And, you know, you can use your chopsticks, you can kind of try to do some of the local Japanese things and at least play along or, get, or participate to the extent that you can. People are really appreciative and really support that. So after you first traveled to Japan, you decided that you really wanted to go to work in that country. So as you say, it took a few years because you had to go first to university and then to find a job there. So we won't speak too much about how you get there, but maybe in a few words. Sure. I would say, yeah, so I came back at 17. I was really pumped up to try to see if I could make something work. And that was when I was thinking about what to do in university. So I decided to study business because I thought that would be something I could apply in an international context. And I studied Japanese. I did try the best as I could to find something there while I was in university. I went to things like the Boston Career Forum, where they have these career forums organized all over the world now that allow Japanese English bilinguals or people trying to get to Japan to go there and interview and network with Japanese companies and hopefully find an internship or a job offer. So I tried all of that. I tried many different internship programs, applied there, really searching around as much as I could didn't manage to find that opportunity. And so I decided to refocus 
on starting my career in the US and putting my international ambitions to the side a little bit, at least for the initial few years. And they were always kind of creeping up and <laughs> coming back to the forefront. So I, I graduated and then I started my career in investment banking as an analyst. That was quite an intense experience over the following two and a half years. But during that time, I also still was daydreaming regularly about trying to be abroad or doing around the world trip or things like that. And then I changed offices from Charlotte, North Carolina to San Francisco, California. And I started to focus on the tech companies there. Shortly afterward, I found an opportunity to, to join as a product manager in a tech company in San Francisco. I had an opportunity then about eight, nine months later to go to their Beijing office for three months. So that was the first real international work opportunity that I had. I came back from that, really geared up to go back abroad again, managed then some, some months later to find this opportunity in Japan. So I went to Japan, to Tokyo in August of 2014. It's like you couldn't believe it. Finally, yes. you were there. <laughs> yeah, I still remember getting off the plane and it didn't really sink in until you take that long train into Tokyo and then you get out and you're there with the, the famous intersection from Lost in Translation. And One thing that was really important about that experience to me was I had visited Japan when I was 17, and then I went again when I was 19, just with a friend for a month. And I left that trip at 19, really excited once again to try to make it work in Japan, which led to all that uh, attempts to find an internship and so on. But I told myself, I didn't want to come back to Japan until I was coming there to live. So to actually be there, seeing these sites and realizing that this is my new home, that was a really wonderful experience. Oh, yeah, I can really imagine the 12 years old in his fantasy world with his comics and learning Japanese. And one day he's there and he's living there. And I say, I love these kind of stories. Yeah, I guess I got there when I was 26. It took 14 years, but I'm glad to be able to say that I was able to make it. And I hope if there are other people out there that are listening that are interested in such a thing to maybe be able to inspire them at least a little bit to say, hey, it's possible. So <laughs> it's possible to live those childhood dreams. Yeah, I think that's, thing, that's something we will speak a, a bit more after when we speak about your podcast, because it's mm. true that when you listen to people, it seems like, oh, yes, I had a dream and I realized it and that's it, you know. And no, I mean, it can be difficult. And uh, as you said, it took you some years to finally get a job there. So it's not that, you know, you want something and you learn the language and there you are. But I mean, with persistence, you can make it work. Absolutely. And I know that after Japan, you went to Berlin for three years. Berlin was a, a city you had really enjoyed while you were traveling. So you decided that you would be interested to live there for a while. Exactly. Basically, the slightly longer story from before is that I came back from that Beijing experience. It was the beginning of 2014. And I found out approximately a month after I got back home that I was being laid off. So 30 minutes later, I was on the street corner with my stuff and my dreams of going back to China for longer were dashed. But I thought, okay, I'm not going to let any one company or experience define me, especially as it relates to being abroad. And I took a trip around Europe for nine weeks to, I think, 19 different cities. And while I was doing that, I was, of course, 
experiencing those cities and having a good time as much as I could, but also taking interviews with companies in Japan and China, which led to that opportunity then uh, to the job offer to go to Japan. So coming out of that experience in Japan after two years and not really finding my next opportunity there, and even though I was in my dream country, I thought back to my time in Berlin, and that was always the place in, my back, in the back of my mind that I thought would be next in terms of a list of spots that I wanted to try living in. I talked to my network and started reaching out to companies and applying. And actually, the very first company I applied to there was the one that gave me a job offer before I even left Japan. So it just seemed to kind of fall into place, if you will, a bit of the universe smiling on me. And I took those signs to, okay, this is the time for me to make my move, even if I do love it here in Japan. In Berlin, that's where you began your podcast, Expat Empire. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more why you decided to create that podcast. Yeah, definitely. So it actually started with just the website expatempire.com and wanting to also release a book that I wrote called Passport to Working in Japan. So I wanted to create a book for people who are interested in moving and living and working in Japan the same way that I was, but I couldn't find those resources. I couldn't find that mentor network or anything when I was looking. So this is my way of kind of paying it forward in a sense. So I released the book and the website back in July of 2018. And then shortly after I started releasing podcast episodes that I'd been recording over the previous year, the idea was to focus on really, I guess, to me, interesting people, interesting stories from the network and folks that I've developed relationships with over the years. And also to try to ask them the hard questions about living abroad, which to me is kind of like, what sort of difficulties did you encounter? How did you get the visa? What visa did you get? Did you get a job before you went? Or um, how did you find your first housing and apartment? Any tips or advice there? Or making friends, adapting to new cultures? So, of course, there's some fun, interesting stories that I incorporate into the episodes as well. But I do try to focus as much as I can on actionable takeaways for people that are listening to inspire them to move abroad and to show them how they can do it themselves. I was wondering, what are the most difficult aspects of moving? I think, of course, everyone's situation is unique and different, but to try to draw some general takeaways Pretty much everybody that's ever been on my podcast says 100% go abroad, just make it happen, figure it out. You're not going to know everything beforehand. You don't have to know everything in advance. You don't have to pick out the place that you're going to live for the rest of your life. If you find that you don't like it, then maybe move to another city or another country. So the key advice being to move abroad. But in terms of the challenges, I think some of the Biggest challenges can definitely still be on the immigration side if it is for people that you know need to have a visa, for example. So figuring that out, dealing with all of the paperwork and bureaucracy, getting the documents correct. Sometimes they want to see things that aren't written on the government website. This is the reason why I strongly recommend working with immigration lawyers and getting that support in local language with the local knowledge, those relationships that they have with people in those offices that just basically help to make the whole process that much easier and smoother. I think that's a big challenge. And another one that I would 
point to is especially in the popular cities these days, for example, Berlin and many, many others around Europe and around the world, it's becoming so much more difficult to find a good apartment to live in. And that's just based on so many of these places going up on sites like Airbnb for more you know, potential rent from tourists and things like that. It's, it's from increasing demand with pretty steady rate of supply. Of course, I'm guilty of this too, but if you go from a place like San Francisco and move to Berlin, Germany, then the prices that you're going to see there, which may be very inflated for the locals and have gone up in the last five, 10 years like crazy, are still quite affordable relative to what you're used to in a place like San Francisco. So I think it's that whole just shift in the market for rental and trying to find those places and not being in a line of 25 40 people to come and see a place. And then the only way you can get it is if you could pay six or 12 months of rent up front, it's becoming more and more challenging. So I think just going in with the expectation that it's going to take a while to figure out your immigration situation, you might be needing to stay in the country for a while until your appointment. And, you know, then you have to push the system forward and keep calling and keep booking appointments and then getting your documents right and making sure you have those before you leave getting them notarized, translated, whatever you have to do, and then indeed finding a long-term place that works for you know the neighborhood you want to be in, the vibe that you're looking for, the right price, the right space and size. I think those are probably just two general good takeaways or things to think about in terms of some of the challenges that people will face. On a personal level, so now you live in Portugal. I was wondering if there were times where all of a sudden you are like, what am I doing here? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I, I definitely have those. I think you're always going to have them. And probably for me, I would also have them if I was still in my home country, which was the US where I'm originally from. At least I can look back and say, I've had these experiences. I've learned from them. I learned what I liked and what I didn't like as much. And it's always a continual iterative process of trying to increase what I say is my average quality of life or average standard of living, because there's always pros and cons no matter where you go. And you're always going to have those days where you wonder, what am I doing here? Why am I still doing this? Why am I pushing so hard? I've had many of those days for sure. But in the end, I much prefer the life that I have here as opposed to going back to the United States, for example. I have another question because moving to these different countries and living there, Something that can be difficult sometimes is to have a relationship with the local people because you tend to meet all these people who are like you, like expats. So I was wondering if you tried to get, you know, like friendship with people who are locals and if you succeed. My experience has varied across the different countries. So starting with Japan, that was something that I tried to do. And early on in my experience there in Tokyo, I was able to make friends with some people at a music festival. And uh, we both had similar taste in music. And I was able to join there, like one of the guys had a, his own band. And so I went to a lot of their shows and met more people. And I also got connected through friend of a friend to basically my best friend in Japan. And so we still keep in touch. And I hung out with him a bunch last time I was there, which was last year. So I think I was able to do that pretty well. Part of that was already speaking Japanese, but I would also say on the other hand that I didn't make as many Japanese friends as I thought before I moved there. And I think part of that has to do with the culture as well. It is a place that's hard to feel like an insider. You tend to feel like an outsider for most of it, even if you're 
fluently speaking the language, you've studied the culture for so many years. And so maybe I could have put indeed some more effort in there. There's always the question of if I had tried a little harder, maybe the uh, result would have been different. But I think that worked out, but it was hard to continue to expand that group. And so I did focus more on expats, I suppose, by the end of my time there. In Germany, I would say much more on the expat side, but it's also got tons more expats overall. Uh, certainly in Berlin, it's a very expat heavy place. I did make a couple German friends, but more through work and coworkers and things like that. And I didn't really study too much German as well, which is also on me. So because I didn't make as much of an effort there and didn't reach out as much, I definitely take responsibility for that. And here in Portugal, it's been a year here so far. Have definitely a couple Portuguese friends, a couple expat friends as well. I think I have a pretty good mix right now, about 50-50. And I've been trying to invest more into speaking Portuguese, which I still have a lot to work on for sure. But yeah, I, I've found Portuguese people to be very inviting, very open, and also have very generally very good fluency in English, which you know makes it harder for me to practice my Portuguese, but on the other hand, feels much more welcoming and open. So to wrap up this interview, so you would advise people go for it, I guess, if you feel <laughs> the call of the unknown? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Of course, you have to do a minimal amount of research and things, and it doesn't even mean that you actually have to visit that country. But of course, do your research and not just on Instagram looking at cool photos, but really try to get a sense of what's it like there. Look at things like, you know, the job opportunities, the economy, uh, if, if that's fitting your case, of course, it's different if you're retiring. Look at that. Look at not just the country, but what cities you're going to, as with any country, have a different experience in the countryside versus downtown, the big city. So look, look at what you need to look at. But I think it's really important to put your intention out there, to be very public about it, to be open about it, to look for opportunities, to try to network. Maybe you know people through LinkedIn you're connected with or people on Facebook. You know, connect with those people, see how they got over there, see if they can put you in touch with someone or if they've heard of any job opportunities, for example, and just look at a lot of different options. You could always go somewhere first, maybe just if you're a native English speaker, maybe you go as an English teacher or you could go to study the language and get a study visa and start making those connections. Have your sort of plan, figure out how you can make it happen or at least take the first step and figure out how then you get to the next step and whatever it is that you want to do. But I'd say 100% go for it because... What I've discovered over time is that I really like to reduce regrets. And for me, regret would be not trying something that I want to do. Or For a long time, I thought, do I really want to work in Japan? I mean, of course, I love the country. I love the culture and the, the language, but I've heard some things about the Japanese work culture and so on. And what I decided was I want to go to Japan regardless. I want to experience it myself directly. And then I can decide if I like it or not. And I'll be happy to know that I hate it because at least I know. I think that's kind of what I would try to leave people with is just that going somewhere else, if you have a country in mind, or you're not even sure where to go, but just somewhere different, if that's really compelling to you and keeps coming to you in daydreams and you know you just feel that deep longing, that call of the unknown in your soul, then I think you owe it to yourself to see what's possible and see if you can make it happen. So I hope that podcasts like yours and Expat Empire and others can give you that inspiration and the tools to make it happen. I hope too. I have a last question for you. Do you have another country that you dream to live in? <laughs> It is a great question. I ended up getting married when I was in Germany. And so then the two of us, now it's as a, as a married couple trying to figure out what to do next. And we talked about it and 
we just had this idea of Portugal and came to visit and we loved it. And now we're living here for one year. And I really hope that we'll stay here for a long time. At least that's our plan at this stage. You never know. I thought I would be in Japan for a lot longer than two years. So it's hard to say, but our goal in the, the medium term, at least for me, is to get dual citizenship here. So then I have to worry about visas and immigration and all that stuff less, which takes at least five years of residence. So I have a couple more years before I can apply and then wait for it to all work out. Then we'll see what's around the corner, maybe Asia, or, or we'll try to do some sort of situation where we're doing half the year here, half the year over there. So yeah, hopefully we'll stay put because it's also a big pain to move, especially the more stuff that you accumulate and the more <laughs> people that you're moving with. So it's been a long and winding road and certainly a lot of ups and downs. And I would never say that it's been easy, although it's been overall a great experience and helped me develop a lot. But I think, yeah, I'm really thankful that we've, we're here and we're making the best of it and making friendships and trying to put down a little bit of roots, but we'll see, we'll see how deep the roots get. <laughs> Good luck, David. Thank you uh, for accepting to be on my podcast. It was very interesting. And uh, I know that you also professionally help people who want to move so they can go on your website. Yeah, exactly. If they're interested in seeing what I'm up to and seeing how Expat Empire can help them to move abroad, they can visit expatempire.com. Certainly check out the podcast. Thanks again, David. Yes, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. We'll see if I can trace you back, see where you are in 10 or 20 years from now. <laughs> sure. I'd love to come in for a checkup. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.